Everybody doing this morning? Anybody happy to be in the house of the Lord? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to Bethel Gary and hear the word of the Lord. We're going to have some scripture reading here. Uh, can you guys welcome Ruth as she comes forward? And Abuelo as she comes as well. Hopefully I said that name right. Abuela. Got to brush up on my Spanish. Kayla, don't charge it to my heart, but to my head. All right, you guys encourage them one more time. We're going to be in the book of John, chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, you can get there, starting at verse 20. John, chapter 12, starting at verse 20. That's in the New Testament. Ruth, ready when you are. Okay. <clears throat> now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. However... Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves, serves me, the Father will honor him. Amen. Now my mother will read it in Spanish. En español dice la palabra del Señor así en nombre del Padre, del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo. Amén. Habían ciertos griegos entre los que habían subido a adorar a la fiesta. Estos pues se acercaron a Felipe que era de Besaida de Galilea y le rogaron diciendo Señor queremos ver a Jesús. Felipe fue y se lo dijo a Andrés. Entonces Andrés a Felipe se lo dijeron a Jesús. Jesús le respondió diciendo, ha llegado la hora para que el Hijo del Hombre sea glorificado. De cierto, de cierto os digo que si el grano de trigo no cae en tierra y muere, queda solo, pero si muere lleva mucho fruto. El que ama su vida la perderá y el que aborrece su vida en este mundo para vida eterna guardará. Desde entonces estuvieron estuviere allí también estará mi servidor si alguno me sirviere mi padre le honrará amén amén all right let's pray father in heaven god we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the honor and privilege of sitting under your word your word is the light unto our path it makes wise the simple and it guards our hearts And so, Father, this morning we pray that you would be gracious to us in such a way that you would allow us to see, hear, and understand your word that it may transform our lives. Father, we submit to the authority of Scripture, and we pray, God, that you would have your way. Be glorified, be magnified in this hour of preaching. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church said, Amen. a couple weeks ago, God led, led me to go to the store and buy some sandwiches, some chips, some drinks, and a cooler, and some double-stuffed Oreos. I thought I would have got an amen on those double-stuffed Oreos. You can taste the diabetes as you're eating them. <laughs> and to set up a table in front of the church and, and feed people who were walking by. It was to my amazement that we got a crowd in less than 10 minutes. We had to take three more trips to the store, and I'll say up front, I'm grateful for the body of Christ because it was clear to me that I shouldn't be taking any trips to the store. You got to stay in your gift. Came back with bad meat, rotten tomatoes. The saints just look at me past that was a good gesture, but you don't need to go to the store no more. <laughs> But a few of the brothers and sisters joined forces with me, and we turned on some music and set a couple tables, and we had a blast. We truly enjoyed ourselves 
in this community. It's amazing how God will bless a small sacrifice. We could have done plenty of things on Friday afternoon, but we decided to give ourselves to the kingdom. And I believe the church ought to have a desire for growth and impact for the glory of Christ in the city in which it dwells. Monday through Thursday, if you stop by this building, you will find over 100 young people running around. But they are not just running, they are learning. Kids from all over this city are being loved, cared for, and directed in a positive path by City Life Center, the after-school program. I attended their fundraiser in May, and it was just a beautiful thing to hear a mother and how she has been impacted by the generosity of City Life Center. Also, if you come here on Friday nights, if you were to take a trip here, you would come to see that this building becomes a home to many young men in the city where they can find rest for their souls and they can find love here at Bethel Gary. You will not come here. You will not find a lot of smoke and mirrors. What you will find is just simple ministry of a Bible being open and young people being fed and being able to play a little basketball. It is amazing what God would do with just a little bit of sacrifice. If you've been coming to church these last couple of weeks, we have been announcing we are taking Awana out into the community. And for these past couple of years, we've had this midweek Bible study for children. If you don't know what Awana is, that's what it is. It's a midweek Bible study for uh, young children. And God has blessed us as we have partnered with the City Life Center to teach young people about Jesus Christ. And I don't know if I'm the only one in the room that believes that you should capture them as young as you can and instill in them the glory and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us wish we would have known Jesus earlier on. There's some things that we would have not done, things that we would not have said, issues we would not be dealing with today if somebody would have just taught us about the Lord Jesus Christ. But friends, it's amazing what God will do with just a little bit of sacrifice. And what should I say about the senior ministry that is continually out in the community loving our seniors? What should we say about the women's ministry who have this past week put a wonderful walk together as we went out into the community and marched for fundraising for the homeless and at-risk women? I think we ought to give God some praise for that. It's amazing what God will do with a little bit of sacrifice. Every church ought to have a desire for the growth and impact for the glory of Christ in the city that it dwells in. But there will be no growth and impact for the glory of Christ unless the church dies. There will be no life in the city unless the church dies. There will be no harvest in the city unless the church dies. The church must lay down its life so that there will be life in the city. I believe God wants to give life to the city. Therefore, Bethel Gary, we must die to ourselves more. We need more hands. Moreover, we need more hearts that are ready to see the glory of God spread more. We are close to our fifth-year anniversary here as a church Come September, and we thank God that the only reason that we're standing today is because God is on the throne. But we must not become content with what we have done. God wants more for his glory, church. So that's what's on my mind as I come to prepare for this message in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. We want our lives guided by the word of God, and we want wisdom from the word of God. So let us be guided by the word of God. Here's the scripture once again. Now, among those who went to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew Philip, and went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him, John 12, 20 through 26. Before we dive into the text, let us dive into the background. We have come to the last week of Jesus' life in Jerusalem, and it is Wednesday. He is headed for the cross on Friday. In this chapter, Jesus' ministry has reached its height. It is at its apex. And we're talking about his earthly ministry. It was so high, it's kind of like when we say Lil Wayne was at his height during Carter III, or some people say Carter II, however you want to dispute that. Or Jordan when he was at his height in 96. Or Brad Pitt when he was at his height. Or Elton John or Selena. I tried to get everybody in there. Uh, We're at their height. The moment that we're talking about in John chapter 12 is the height of Jesus' ministry. This is Utah Jazz versus the Bulls. This is Michael Jackson when he made Thriller. Are you with me yet? We are at the Mount Everest of Jesus' earthly ministry in this verse. And how did he get there? How did Jesus reach reach the peak of his ministry? Well, let's go back to that Sunday so that we can understand how he got to the height of his ministry. A couple days before our verse, a couple days ago, he had been with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And if you ever get a chance, this is a relationship that you want to track in the Bible. It goes to show that Jesus was actually down to earth. Jesus had some homies, and his homies were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It was that kind of relationship that you don't have to talk for months, but when you meet up again, it's as if you picked up at the same place that you left off. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you got to have some friends that you don't have to call all the time and you don't have to do things for them all the time but when you get together it is as if you never were separated that's the kind of relationship that Jesus have with Mary Martha and Lazarus but check it out Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead but if I was Lazarus I still would have had a little beef with Jesus because word got to Jesus that Lazarus was sick and that if he didn't come soon that Lazarus would, would actually die but here's the tripped out part that Jesus actually didn't have to come to Lazarus in order to heal him because he told the centurion the centurion said you can't even come into my house just say the word and my son will be healed Jesus has the power to speak and things would happen and he didn't speak he said no Lazarus I'm going to let you die because this is to the glory of God. If you don't mind, I'm going to park my car here for a minute because sometimes God will allow you to go through some things because he's not so much worried about your comfort more than he's worried about his glory. And so he'll allow you to go through some things and you'll be saying, why, Lord? You know that you can speak the word and change this situation around. But God's ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. And sometimes you got to go through in order that he'll get some glory out of it. I figure somebody may need that. I threw that in for free. So Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. After the resurrection, he goes to Lazarus' house. They chilling. They eating baked macaroni and cheese and Fried chicken, you put whatever on the table you want. I feel the white spaces of the Bible the way I want to feel it. But I believe that they had some soul food on the table. And here it is. Word is spreading like crazy that Jesus has raised a man from the dead. Boy, if that was today, it'll be all over Facebook. It'll be all over Snapchat. And y'all do know. 
that there was a little incident on Facebook with this dude said that he raised this dude from the dead. Y'all got to go see it. Dude out here clowning, mouth wide open in the casting. You can see him breathing in the casting. He acting like he dead. I'm like, people be tripping out here. But anyways, this was a real resurrection. That Sunday in Bethany, a large crowd gathered to see Jesus because word got out at Jesus I've raised a man from the dead. Word got out all through Bethany. Word got out all through Jerusalem. And word got so far that it even reached the Greeks. Jesus' ministry was going viral because he raised Lazarus from the dead. Then on that Monday, the next day, after eating his fried chicken and macaroni and taking a long nap, because you know after you eat that kind of food, you're going to sleep real good. And so Jesus slept real good, got up that Monday. He left and went to Bethany, the little village two miles east of Eastern Gate of Jerusalem. And he headed towards the city, riding on the foal of a donkey. As he did, a large crowd that came for the greatest holiday in Judaism, which is the Passover, many of them came from Galilee. A large crowd of almost millions of people followed Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. Word is out that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But word gets out around a very popular time, which is the Passover. And so you got all these people who have already marked on their calendars that they were going to Jerusalem. And so here it is. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. People who have heard about him are going into Jerusalem. Those who are coming for the Passover are going into Jerusalem. And so there are millions of people surrounding Jesus. But it wasn't just people that were surrounding Jesus. Jesus was also surrounded by lambs. Well, why would Jesus be surrounded by a bunch of lambs? Well, because he was riding into Jerusalem during Passover. And you have to understand that during Passover, the Jewish people would sacrifice lambs. And so it was required, you would see it in the book of Exodus, that the family was required to keep the lamb for at least three days. And so people are trying to make sure that they have their lambs. Jesus is going into the city. People are going into the city. Lambs are in, in, going into the city. According to one historian, there would have been about 250,000 sheep going into the city. And here it is, Jesus in the middle of all of these sheep, being the sheep. Oh, y'all not with me this morning, but John had said earlier, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Y'all still not with me, so let me put you in Jesus' shoes for a minute. Jesus, as he looks around, all he can be reminded of is Friday because when he looked in front of him, there's lambs reminding him of Friday. When he looks behind him, there's lambs reminding him of Friday. When he looks to the side of him, there's lambs reminding him of Friday. When he looks to the other side of him, there's lambs reminding him of Friday. No matter how Jesus looked, he was reminded of his sacrifice. He was reminded of his suffering. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation that no matter what way you looked, you were reminded of the suffering in your life. You were reminded of the suffering that you had to go through. Sometimes have you ever been surrounded by reminders of your suffering? Here's Jesus surrounded by lambs, knowing that he will be the lamb of God. The crowds and lambs converge on him as he comes into the city on that Monday. Friends, Jesus is the man at this moment, though. Jesus is at the top of his ministry. You know you're at the top of your ministry when your enemies acknowledge that you're at the top of your ministry. Mm -hmm. You know you're at the top when your haters acknowledge it. Your haters can't even deny that you're at the top of your ministry. You say, Pastor, where did you get that from? Well, look at verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. 
There it is. The haters, they like to get together. That's what they do. They have a side meeting. And here they are. They say, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. I, I, I think in that statement, we begin to capture how big this moment is. This is huge. His haters is like, the world is going after him. And why are they mad? Because the people were following them at one point. Right? One of the ways you find out whether you are on God's side or you're on your side is that what happens when people really start following him and not you? When people start seeing him as their savior and not you? What then is your response? God has a way of revealing the motives of our hearts. When we become in competition with his glory, we are, we are seeing ourselves wrongly. And here's the Pharisees, they like, hold up. And, 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 and let me remind you that the Pharisees are the pastors of the day. Okay? These are the people who run the churches. Right? The pastors are at odds with God. Because just because you're in church don't mean that you're on God's side. And just because you got a title don't mean that you on God's side. I don't care if you got apostle, evangelist, deacon, reverend, Mr. Somebody. Uh, that doesn't mean that you're on God's side. So, so there you have it. Jesus is at the height of his ministry. Lazarus is raised. His ministry goes viral. It's all on YouTube. It's all on Snapchat. There's a million followers. Everybody is looking on. Millions are following him. And they want to make him the king. They want to give him the crown. And here it is. A decision before Jesus. He could be the king of the world. Or he could be the king of the Passover. By becoming a lamb. A sacrifice. What will you do, Jesus? Everybody's following you. You the man right now, Jesus. Everybody's digging you. They didn't change their profile picture and put you on it. Everybody's filling you, Jesus. The advertising companies are giving you stuff, Jesus. Getting all kind of free stuff. Jesus, you at the top of your ministry. What you going to do, Lord? What will he do? King or lamb? Be worshipped or be an offering? Now, here's the part that really helped me to get what kind of temptation Jesus had to be dealing with at this moment. Because in verse 20, he says, now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, at the surface level, you're like, what's the big deal? More people want to see Jesus. No, 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 no. It's not just more people that want to see Jesus. In the New Testament, the Bible divides people into Jews or Gentiles or into Jews or Greeks, and it does it for a reason. You must understand that John goes out of his way to let us know that Jesus goes viral because Greeks come to see him. Okay, you're not with me. That's like a Cub fan going to see uh, traveling to see the Sox. Are you with me, Chris? That's like Dub Nation fans going to see LeBron James. Are y'all with me yet? That's like Bears friends traveling to go see the Packers. You ain't real. You ain't real, cuz. <laughs> the tension between Jews and Gentiles was like the tension in the 60s. And now they're coming to see Jesus. Jesus is so popular that those who are not his fans are now his fans. It's like those who start cheering for Michael Jordan. You're supposed to be against him. You're like, oh, it's my bad. I don't even supposed to be cheering for you, dog. But you're that good, you know. Those who were not his fans became fans that day. But what kind of fans did they become? The crowd looked at Jesus as a political and national savior, but not so much as a spiritual savior. Just because you're in the crowd don't mean that you're with him. 
Just because you're following don't mean that you're following. Now, this explains what's getting ready to happen. The biggest transition in human history will happen between that Wednesday and that Friday. There's a transition that will come Friday. At first, all the people in the crowd, all his fans, all of his Facebook followers, all those who were ready to make him king, at first were saying, hail him, Hosanna. And then they transitioned to crucify him. People will flip on you in less than 24 hours. That'll preach all by itself. People will flip on you in less than 24 hours. What happened, dog? I thought we was cool. We was just inboxing it. What happened? But that's a pretty big transition. They were ready to crown him king, and they ended up crowning him with thorns. They were ready to give him Jerusalem and make him boss. They ended up treating him like a lame. They were ready to put a royal robe on him, and they ended up with a faded robe. They were ready to hail him, and they ended up roasting him. Y'all, those who roast, y'all know what I'm talking about. They were ready to lift him up on a throne, and they ended up lifting him up on a cross. He went viral, so we want you dead, bro. Why did they do that? Why did they transition? Why did their emotions change? He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He fed the multitudes. He dwelt with the least. Why did they want to kill him? Because no matter what you do for people, the moment you stop doing what they want you to do, you're no good to them unless you're doing what you want them to do. If you can't say amen, say ouch. We call them leeches, users. There's other words for it. But the crazy part is this. He could have taken the title. He could have taken the kingdom. He could have been their political leader, but instead he takes the thorns. He could have taken the boss treatment instead of the lame. He could have taken the fans instead of the enemies. The ball was in the court of Christ, and everyone wanted a selfie. The FB Live showed the followers, but he became a lamb instead. Most of my question to you is what would you have done? If you're not impressed, what would you have done? Now, let's be real now. Let's be 100 with one another. We family in here. If that was us, okay, okay, not y'all because y'all holy. If it was me and everybody was following me, I'm millions of people, and they want to make me king, boy, I'm taking that crown. I'm, gonna tell, I'm taking my horse to the old town road. I'm going to ride till I can't no more, and can't nobody tell me nothing. Can't nobody tell me nothing. I'm selfieing it out. I'm like, hey, y'all, the kingdom is mad. What's up? What? You don't like me? Hey, soldier, go ahead and take care of that one right there. Oh, you want to talk crazy? Oh, I got something for you. Oh, you beat me in Uno back in the day, but now I'm on top. Now I got, oh, you beat me in spades. I remember. You, re- you made me renege. You could have let me go. And so, therefore, I'm going to have you dealt with. That's the kind of thing that I would have been on. That's just me. I'm not saying that that's you. That's just me. We believe that God always wants us to go up and never down. You never get a prophecy about going down. It's all about a prophecy about going up. This your season. This your year. Your haters. God going to deal with them this year. Oh, yeah. You're going to flourish and blossom. Oh, yeah. There ain't going to be nothing this year. Oh, I got God gave me a word for you, brother. <laughs> Sow this seed in 90 days. All your problems will go away. But in God's kingdom, the way up is down. Look at Jesus, friends. Look at your Savior and learn from him. With the greatest temptation to be selfish, Jesus decided to be selfless. And here's where I want to park my car and learn from Jesus. Jesus transitions his position 
from fame to grain. From fame to grain. That rhymes a little bit right there. So word gets to Jesus that the Greeks have come to see him. And what is Jesus' response? And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, we see the back end of this. But you got to imagine Andrew and Philip coming to him and saying, Jesus, the Greeks have come to see you. And Jesus said, it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. So if I'm Peter and Philip, I'm like, yes, this is why I've been rolling with you, dog. We're about to take over the world. We're about to get the Roman Empire back. We're about to be good. It's time to be glorified. Hey, yo, hey, Peter, it's time, the moment we've been waiting on. But when Jesus says it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified, he's not talking about shining and stunting. And this is a hard concept for us to get, is it not? Because to glorify means to be praised, to be extolled, to be magnified, to be celebrated, to be honored, to make glorious, adorned, clothed with splendor. Something the world do not understand is the other way that God glorifies. Let's be real. Who wants to die at the top of their ministry? Who wants to die when the getting is getting good? I just got here. I just got the job, God. I just got the husband, God. I just got the wife, God. I just got the guy. Are you going to take it away already? I just got here. And Jesus helps us to see something. And let's be real. Nobody wants to die when they finally made it to the top. Who wants to die at the height of their fame? But Jesus shows us another way to glory, another way to be glorified. How could Jesus walk away from the crowd? How could he walk away from the fame? How can he walk away from the glory of man? If, if, if I'm you, I'm asking that question. How do you turn those things down? How do you walk away from that kind of temptation? How do you say no to doors that look wide open? How do you do that, Jesus? You do it by seeing God is better than what the world has to offer. Jesus was able to do it because he found something better than what the world has to offer. And if I can stay here for a moment, Christian, nothing is better than God. To exchange God for money, for, for cars, for houses, you're the one losing. You're not winning. God is better. I read an article this past week titled Celebs Who Left Hollywood for God, and there's no statement of their faith because I didn't do any research on that. But on that list was, was Chris Tucker. Oh, y'all going to act like y'all don't know who Chris Tucker is. From Friday, Chris Tucker. Debo, Chris Tucker. Oh, Smokey, let me just put it like that. Y'all know who I'm talking about now. Mace. The man who want to see you doing good, y'all don't know who, okay, y'all don't know who Mace is. Okay, 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 okay. So Chris Tucker left Hollywood, Mace left Hollywood, Kirk Cameron, anybody know who Kirk Cameron is? Kirk Cameron left Hollywood. What caused these people to leave fame, to leave the glory of man? Most of them were at the height of their career plenty of money before them. Why leave? The same way, same reason Jesus left. God is better. Would you break up with $20 for a $100 bill? In a heartbeat you would. I know I would. Jesus teaches us that God is worth far more than anything this earth can offer. He was willing to put his life on it. Friends, the will of God will never become your priority until you see God as better than all the world has to offer. It has to be better than your house. It has to be better than your family. It has to be better than your career. It has to be better than your husband. It has to be better than your wife. Because one day all of those things are going to disappoint you. And to make it a reality, 
Nothing that you have is going to hop in that casket with you. What are you holding on to? What matters the most? And how do you know if you're satisfied in God? How do you know if God is the most important? It's not just because you shout hallelujah. It's not because you know when to say praise the Lord. You know that God has become the most important thing in your life or that you're striving for him to be the most important thing in your life when you die so that others can live. When you die so that others can live, you are taking hold of true life. And I know that's not popular according to Cardi B. We were born to flex, and she claimed that she loves nothing more than checks. And I know that some of you guys are holding, y'all know who Cardi B is. Y'all see, y'all want to play holy, but here's the reality. The reality is, is that God has called us to more than flexing and getting checks. Jesus explains why. He is willing to face death. Verse 24, look at it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay, let's think here. Just as a seed will never become a plant unless it dies and is buried, so the death burial of Jesus was necessary for his glorification. Before there can be resurrection power and fruitfulness, listen to me, church, there must be death. If a grain of wheat is stored in a granary, it can exist for years and never do anything. That's a granary right there. That's where they store wheat in. And as long as the wheat is in there, it can exist for years. But take that same grain of wheat, even after a few years, and plant it in the ground where the soil and moisture begins to break it down, and that small seed will begin to sprout. And when the plant sprouts, it, it will eventually bring forth lots of new grain on its stalk. Jesus, lead, uh, Jesus leads a wonderful life. But the greatest benefit that came to us is when he died. Because when he died, we came to life. And that is spiritual life today. The reason that you're alive today spiritually, the reason why you love the Lord, the reason why you're in your right mind, the reason why you praise him, the reason why you are becoming what you're becoming, it's not because you're cute. It's not because you're wonderful. It's because 2,000 years ago, Jesus decided to die on your behalf so that you may have life. Jesus decided to lead, lead, leave his own granary, granary. He decided to leave heaven and come down to earth and plant himself in this field or circled around sinners and decided to lay down his life. You do know he decided because he says, no man take my life. I lay it down on my own accord. Nobody took Jesus' life because you know he had all power to stop what was getting ready to happen, but he voluntarily gave up his spirit so that you can live. Think of the millions of people who have already passed before us that would be in hell if Jesus didn't become that grain of wheat who died. Think of all your loved ones that have called on his name that have went before you that would be in eternal hell if Jesus didn't decide to become that grain of wheat and die. It's horrific to think about it, but because he did, there are countless grains in heaven. Here it is. After this, I looked. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number. I'm praying that I'm part of that number. Amen. And from every nation, from, let me say that again, from every nation, uh, from every nation, uh, from all tribes, just look at me. It doesn't say anything about you if you didn't shout on that. From all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Let me park here for a minute because you remember on Friday they crucified him. But here in the book of Revelations, the reality is, is that Jesus is king, whether we crown him or not. And what we see is a multitude 
multitude of people worshiping him. And this is why we say you can neither bow today, but the future is coming when you will bow. But here's the thing, because Jesus died, there'll be a multitude in heaven. All of these people, church, saved from eternal damnation because Jesus didn't remain the wheat in the granary. He didn't try to hold on to the fame. He didn't try to hold on to the money. He didn't try to hold on to the praise of man. And Jesus didn't hoard anything. Let me put it plain, church. Jesus' main pursuit was not his comfort. He didn't just hang around and do ministry with people who looked like him. He didn't go minister, he didn't go minister where people would like him only. Even in his living, he was dying. And friends, Jesus has called his followers to do the same thing. What would happen in the city of Gary if the little grains in this building would plant themselves in the mission field and go out of the church? What would happen if we laid down our lives to spread the good news of Jesus Christ? What would happen? Don't remain in the granary. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The granary, as I said, is where the farmer stores the grain. We are called to hate our life. Let me be careful here. Because I, 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 hey, hey, I got to be careful here. When I say hate your life, that don't mean that you don't like yourself. Because I don't know about you, but I love me some me. I, sometimes I get in the mirror. I say, boy, I love you, boy. You know I love you, boy. You should love yourself. But what Jesus is saying is that we ought to give our lives freely to God. Our life is precious to us, is it not? Especially because, they're, especially because it's something that we can give to Jesus. I don't care how poor you are in the room. I don't care if you don't have a dollar in your bank account. You have this one thing. You have breath in your body. And as long as you got breath in your body, God can use you. You don't let nobody tell you that God can't use you because you don't have certain things. As long as you got breath in your body, God can use you. It doesn't matter how poor you are. It matters how great he is. It doesn't matter your situation. It matters how great he is. So nobody has excuses to remain in the granary where it is safe. Let's be honest, church. It's easier to remain in the granary. We love our granary. There is no sacrifice there. Why do we stay in the granary? Why do we stay in the granary? Well, here's the first reason. Self-preservation. Friends, I can't wrap my mind around this, but let me say it as loud as I can. There is no such thing as safe ministry. There is no such thing as convenient ministry. There's no such thing as comfortable ministry. <laughs> what do we look for? Make sure they got hot coffee. Make sure the AC is running. Make sure the chairs is nice and soft. And they better not ask me for a Saturday. If they do that, that's my church. We want comfortable ministry. If we experience discomfort, we believe God has called us somewhere else. Okay, say amen, say ouch. But sometimes God calls us where there is trouble. We don't want to go into the field and die. We want a mission field where there is no sacrifice necessary. We want no downgrades. We want no pay cuts, no bad schools, no projects, and no risk. We don't want any churches that will not accommodate us. And like I said, they better not ask for my Saturday. We are so busy with ourselves and pursuing our own dreams. We have no time for the things of God, but let me be clear here. I am not saying that you should not spend time with your family. I am not saying that you should not have self-care, but what I am saying is that the only thing on your schedule shouldn't be you. And what's another reason we stay in the granary? We are afraid of people who are different than us. 
If you remember, John goes out of his way to say, hey, Jesus, the Greeks are here to see you. And Jesus, Jesus knew that Jews and Greeks didn't get along. Understand that Jesus was not coming into a situation that he did not understand. But his disciples were coming into a situation that they did not understand. And Jesus makes it clear to them that I did not come into the world just to save the Jews. I came into the world to save the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus didn't just come into the world to save you. Jesus came to save the person next door to you. He came to save your co-workers. He came to save your enemies. He came to save those who are difficult. But can we be honest? It's hard to go into the field. Because there's pieces of grain out there that I don't like. Pieces of grain that I want to step on. I'm just being honest. There's some grains out there. Just keep looking at me. Because you live with some of them grains that you don't like. There's some people that I don't like, and it's easier to stay inside and safe because I don't want people to really get to know me. I don't want my life to be exposed. I don't want them to see that my marriage is not all that I thought that, it, that, that they think that it is. I don't want people to know that I'm not as nice as you see me at church. I don't want people, I don't want people to see the, 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 real, the real me. I, 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 it's hard when, when, when people actually see you for who you are. And if, and if we're honest, it's scary to be exposed to people who you don't know whether they'll love you or not. But let me help you out, friends. This is where the cross of Jesus Christ comes in. This is where the cross of Jesus Christ liberates you because no matter what somebody has to say about you, they're only saying half the truth because if God had to die for you, we already know you ain't all that in a bag of chips. We already know that you're jacked up. We already know that you're messed up because God had to die for you. But what I like about the cross is though it covers me on that end, it turns around and covers me on the other end because no matter what you say about me he's already justified me so it's not really much you can do with a brother because the cross has got me through and through and as long as Jesus blood speaks on my behalf I may not be all that but there's a God in heaven that has decided to love me anyways he sees me in all of my flaws and all of my sin therefore I can go in the field I know that's right. Friends, let's be real this morning. That's not the only reason that we don't want to go into the field. It's not just because we're scared of being exposed and people different than us. We don't want to go out there. I wish I had something prolific and profound to say, but we don't want to go out there Because we forgot who God is. We don't want to go because we forgot who God is. We forgot who sent us. We forgot the one who's seated on the throne. We have forgotten who God is. And I remember this in the book of Numbers. They did the same thing. You remember the people of Israel. God had what? He delivered them from Pharaoh. He spread it the Red Sea. They walked through that. But check it out. Gee, God also rained bread out of heaven. He gave them chicken sandwiches. And he kept, he kept their shoes from wearing out. Woo, Tim, I wish I had a pair of J's that would never wear out. Woo, if I had a pair of Jordans that would never go bad. God kept their shoes. He did all these great and miraculous things. And here it is. God says, okay, Israel, it's time for you to take the promised land, the land that I've been promising you. And so they go, and they go and spy the land. They go and check it out. And so, so, so Moses sends a couple spies. They get there. They start looking around. They say, hmm. It's some pretty nice land that God wants to give us here. They go back to Moses and they say, Moses, 
Oh, the land is dope. Oh, you got to see it, man. The trees are good. The fruit is good. It's, it is a land of milk and honey. All that God said that it was. And then they say butter rum. Y'all ain't never did that butter rum. Um, we got one issue, though. We got one issue. The people in the land, they like giants. They got biceps and triceps. They look like they've been doing 100 squats, and they look like they can do 200 push-ups. And the guys in the front look like they could bench press 1,000 pounds. I don't think that we're going to be able to take them. Why? Because they are so fixated on themselves that they forgot who God was. They got so fixated on their situation. They got so fixated on their circumstance. They got so fixated on the people that were against them that they forgot that the same God who told them to go was the same God who just delivered them from Egypt. It was the same God that spread at the Red Sea. It was the same God that sent the locusts. It was the same God that caused the snake to go on the ground and Pharaoh threw down his snake and he swallowed them up. Friends, at times we get so fixated on our circumstances. We get so fixated on our circumstances that we forget who God is. And we say, what? Won't you just send us back to Egypt? Won't you just send us back home? We start complaining and grumbling because we forgot who God was. But friends, could I remind you this morning that no matter what your problem is, no matter what your circumstance is, you serve a God that is greater than all of that. We call him the Alpha and the Omega. We call him the bread of life. We call him the living water. We call him the healer. We call him the bomb. Can I just brag on him for a minute? We call him the bomb in Gilead. Uh -huh, uh -huh. We call him the rose of Sharon. We call him our peacemaker. And he's so good, we start making up names. We start calling him our tear catcher. We start calling him our pillow. We start calling him and making up words because he's so great and so wonderful. And check it out. If he can save your tail, you know that he can save the people around you. If I don't know anything else, if God can save Dexter, oh, you don't know how rotten you are. You don't know how messed up you are. If God can save you. Let me pause there for a minute. I want you to look at yourself. If God can save you. Okay, y'all didn't catch me. Okay, let me say it this way. Let me say it over here. If God can save you. Okay, they didn't, they weren't feeling me over here. Let me go over here. If God can save you. I want you to go in your closet for a minute because this is going to help you shout. If God can save your lion. Gossiping, cheating, no good self, if he can snatch you out of the fire, if he can snatch you out of your junk, if he can snatch you out of your mess, because here's the thing, we always looking for a miracle. I came to tell you that salvation is a miracle all by itself. It's a miracle that you saved today. It's a miracle that you love God. It's a miracle that you're trying to live holy. You know you weren't trying to live holy before Jesus. You were running around with those who chew and do everything else. And so it's a miracle that you're saved. And if God can save me, good God Almighty, he can save whom he wants to save when he wants to save. Him. He can save the crackhead. He can save the rapist. He can save the dopey. He can save the homeless. He can save the arrogant. He can save the prideful. There's nothing that he cannot do. And friends, when we get that God is able to save whom he wants to save, when he wants to save them, will be like Hawkeye in Avengers. Y'all do remember. Now, I don't, if you ain't seen Avengers at this point, you know, Rick, it shouldn't even matter. It shouldn't even matter. But here it is. You got, you, you got Hawkeye in. You got Black Widow. And they are at this scene where they're trying to get what you call the soul stone. And in order to get the soul stone, Somebody has to die. I'm right so far. Somebody has to die in order to receive the soul stone. Now, the reason why they went back in the future and had to die is so that they may save 
many. Friends, the reason Jesus came and died so that he can capture our souls back so that he can save many. But here's the thing that gets me about the scene is that Hawkeye and Black Widow are fighting over who's going to make the sacrifice. I just wish I had people in church that would fight over being the sacrifice, that would fight over giving up their lives. I wish in marriage people would fight over who's going to do the dishes. No, I'm going to do the dishes. You better go sit down somewhere. I told you I was going to do the dishes. I wish we would fight over sacrifice. No, I'll get up at 2 a.m. and go pick them up. We don't argue over sacrifice, but this is what we ought to be doing. The Bible says, I'll do one another in hospitality. Friends, here's the reality. That if you decide to leave the granary, you will Get dirty. If you're not interested in getting dirty, don't even think about going in the mission field. I tried this yesterday at Sojourner Truth House. Y'all probably weren't with us. We were walking and we were raising money for the homeless and things like that. And as you walk, they throwing colored chalk on you. I had my nice shoes on, Tim. I didn't want to get my shoes messed up. And so I called myself trying to dodge the color chalk. You know how we are. When we don't want to get dirty, we try to dodge things in order that we may stay comfortable. But I found out no matter how much I tried to dodge it, if I was going to be out there, some color was eventually going to get on me. And I'm trying to tell you, you can try to dodge it. But if you get in the mission field one way or another, somebody going to step on your Air Force Ones. Somebody going to put some dirt on you. But you don't give up. Because here's the thing, after a while, I just said, forget it. I'm going to have to do this. I took my shoes off first, though. But anyways, that's beside the point. You know, brother got to be real. God's still working on me. There's some things that I got to lay down. I'm just being honest with you. But before it was over with, I had colors all over me. I had power, pow- powder all over me. Because here's the thing, when you finally say, God, I surrender, dirt's going to get all over you. Dirt's going to cover you. Dirt's going to bury you. But this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus says, although dirt will be over you, although dirt will cover you, he says this, Christians are down for the cause, but they're never down for the count. I didn't make that up. I got that from Dr. Dre. Y'all know Dr. Dre, Dr. Dre. I'm talking about Beats, Dr. Dre, NWA, Dr. Dre. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Dr. Dre said, we are down for the cause, but we're not down for the count. And what Jesus is saying is that when you're in the mission field, when you get out there, you'll be down sometimes. You'll get dirt on you sometimes. But I came to tell you, you'll be down, but you'll rise again. And the reason why you'll rise again is because I rose again. Okay, that didn't help you. Let me give it to you like this. I'll be done. And God bless you real good. And you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Can I go back into history for a minute? In 1778, a notorious French philosopher by the name of Voltaire made a crazy and bizarre prediction about the Geneva Bible. He said that in 100 years, the Bible will be no more. Well, a few years later, Voltaire died, and the Geneva Bible Society bought his house and used it as a distribution center to put Bibles all around the world. The very publishing house that printed his crazy and bizarre statements was now being used to print the infallible, inerrant, never-ending Word of God. Friends, what Jesus is saying is this. We don't die, we multiply. I came to tell you that the thing that should have killed us, the thing that should have took us, it didn't kill us, it made more of us. The more you persecute us, the more you take us down, the more you persist in your being against the church. We don't die, we multiply. 
You tell your enemies, we don't die, we multiply. I know you thought we were done, but we don't die, we multiply. I know you thought I was down, but we don't die, we multiply. I wish I had some people in the room that been through the storm, that been through the fire, and come to find out that you don't die, you multiply. Friends, you may be down for the cause, but you ain't never down for the count. For those who hold on to their life, they will lose it. For those who hate their life, they will find it. It is when you leave the granary and you trust your life to the Lord of the harvest that God will multiply. 